0: This is a BoardWalk Audio podcast. I just shrink wine. 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 wine.
1: Welcome to the wine situation solo as I have been all alone with myself because I do like to be alone, but I don't want to be alone. Not all the time. But that's the way it is. Uh, The wine situation, where we find out the situation with wine, which, as we all know, is we're drinking it by ourselves at home. And I, Ellen Clifford, the palate, the woman who's taking way too many wine tests to get some accreditation uh, and, and writes things about wine and learns things about wines and then spews them back out at you in hopes that you'll learn things too. My hope is that we can all drink wine together again, but in the meantime, my hope, I have so many hopes, guys, (laughs) Jesus. Uh, My hope right now is that having this podcast during all this isolation will feel like, you'll feel like you have a buddy. And also I know everyone's like, ooh, Everyone should come out with like a glow up from being in isolation and having all the spare time and quite frankly I have not had much more spare time, but uh, for those of you that do maybe you can come out uh, Come out of quarantine uh, with Vast wine knowledge Is it weird or egotistical that I feel like wine can make a distance a distance? <laughs> uh, that was a slip of the tongue a Freudian slip perhaps uh, That wine can make a difference. Uh... I hope not. I like to think that anything that guys I can making this way too serious, aren't I? Oh, well, uh, I don't know. I like to think that anything that can make you see the world differently or learn about other people or just learn anything new or surprise yourself is probably worth having cause it opens your mind. So let's open our minds with some wines. That was almost a rhyme. Okay. So today's agenda is, I know I said last week that I loved doing the who, what, when, where, why wine because it was the bones upon which the vegan protein of my podcast would hang. Um, But I just, in the name of switching it up, I realized that on the first episode I had promised that we were going to sometimes have a goth grape. And, you know, if who, what, when, where, why wine is bones, bones remind me of graveyards, graveyards remind me of gothy things. So it all leads to goth grape. So we're going to have a goth grape and we are going to taste another woman-made wine together which oh my god when i uncorked this and poured a glass like my heart is beating i'm so excited to taste it but i'm holding off to you i can cheers with you guys but just smelling the cork i was like woof woof uh which when i tell you what this wine is will have another meaning um after that we're going to have another boozy book we're going to, last week we had some wine bowl. We're going to have a very quick wine boost. And then, of course, the drunk dial. Is this too much I'm trying to fit in? Because I realized last week's podcast was kind of long. And <laughs> the first two I did by myself were sort of shorter. And I was talking to my dad, who's like, oh, yes, it's much more approachable. Keep it short. And I was like, well, I hate to tell you this, but the next pod coming out is longer. So I'm trying to figure out what the right amount of stuff to pack into an episode is. Mm. That was just water, guys. I have not drinking the wine yet. Um, yeah, I gotta figure it out. And so, if you have any opinions, please tell me. And while you're um, taking time to tell me what to do with the pod, you know, it, it's fun. It's fun to go on iTunes and you can leave your little review. And it doesn't have to be under your actual name if you're scared of that. But you know, if you if you feel like slipping me five stars and maybe saying something about what you like about the pod. You know, Ellen, she's so knowledgeable, pretty, well-meaning, sometimes dark, but okay, I'll stop, that was me writing about me. Um, Okay, Uh, yeah, if you can go into iTunes and rate and leave a review, it actually really would help and I would be so grateful to you. Enough stalling. I'm a little nervous about like new segments every time. Uh, But let's get into this week's goth grape. Alianico. It's spelled A-G-L-I-A-N-I-C-O. Alianico. Uh, We actually, I think, drank this on this grape on the second episode ever of the wine situation with uh, Price Peterson, who... Said it gave him cannibal tooth, which is very accurate. This is a, it, tends to be a very deep hued wine. Uh, you guys should listen to that episode of Nothing Else to hear some crazy orca stories. Live for the whale tales. Um, so Alianico, it is a grape that is found mostly in Italy, um, in the south of Italy. It's actually called the Barolo of the South, which makes sense to me because Nebbiolo, that's the grape of Barolo, has always seemed to be to be kind of goth just because it's like very big and tannic with high acid and high alcohol and my sweet babies, Alianico, has all those characteristics. Um, It can also be quite floral, uh, and it it just takes a taste of all the dark things, which is why it's so goth. It tastes of dark chocolate and purple plums and dark berries. But flowers are also kind of goth, especially if they're red roses pricking your fingers. Oh, Alianico. Where will you find it? Well... Um, you sometimes, is because Italy makes things confusing in their naming, sometimes they name things by grape, sometimes they name it by region, sometimes it's grape and region. So if you see a wine named Terrasi, that's a region in Campania that makes Alianico. So if you see Terrasi, know that that's some like Alianico grapes, Grown in volcanic soils, because you know what erupted around there once upon a time—Mount Vesuvius. Also, a very goth thing. Um, all the people perishing, buried in ashes. Oh my God, you guys! Taurasi is possibly—I would say it's possibly the most goth of the uh, Alianco wines. But then, nearby, in the region of Basilicata, which for some reason, makes me think of cathedrals with gargoyles on them. Um, there, you have Alianico del Vulture. So I just picture this, this Alianico is like a big like vulture statue on the side of a cathedral, and it just speaks to so much desiccation and darkness and makes me think of German goth music. Uh, yeah. So those are sort of the two main regions where you hear about Alianico being from, um, and all honesty, I can't—I don't know that I've had a lot of Alianico del Vulture, but I have had some Tarassi, and it's—it's it's a gorgeous thing. It, uh, the one I had was from one of the most famous makers named Mastro Berardini, and it was like a twenty-year-old Alianico, and. Uh, the person who sold it to me said that it should like decant for two hours, but I thought, well, I'm going to pour a glass and just sip it slowly, which is good because sometimes when wines get really old, they, they'll they be very powerful outs out of the bottle and then just like fade super fast. And I quickly deduced that this 20-year-old uh, Taurasi was sadly going to fade within like a couple hours. Uh, so I drank like half the bottle and... Spoiler alert, I actually froze a couple glasses of the other stuff because I was like, well, it's not going to taste better. And actually freezing preserves wine better than a lot of methods. I don't know that like using a a vacuum in would have helped this one. Anyway, that's my tale of uh, a 20-year-old Master Berardini. So this dark gothy grape, my God. So here's the most goth thing about it, though. The thing that makes me really happy is that its name, Alianico comes from Hellenico, which is the Italian word for Hellenic because apparently they thought maybe it came from Greece although they can't find any grapes there it's now related to. But I just, oh man, I love that this goth grape has a part of my name in it. It all works out. You guys, get yourself some Alianico and tell me what you think. Okay, I can't take it anymore. This wine made by a woman is extra exciting and just like a weird twist of fate in the universe. I, when I decided I was going to try and focus on women winemakers on the pod, I sort of went through my, the wines I had and, and started sort of scheduling them in weeks ahead. Because believe it or not, I do a lot of planning on this podcast. Um, so I had slotted this wine to be the one I opened this week. And then lo and behold, a few days before I recorded this pod, I was reading Deadline and come to find out that the woman who makes this, who uh, you might know by the name of Pink, the singer, her name is actually Alicia Beth-, Beth Moore, and she's actually a very trained winemaker, I'll talk about that in a minute, but... Uh, apparently, just about a week or two ago, she came out and was like, oh, hey, so me and my three-year-old son just had COVID. And we, it was pretty bad because, I mean, a three-year-old, that, that hits hard. That must have been terrifying. Uh, but they quarantined for a few weeks, and they got better. And to celebrate getting better, she donated a million dollars to COVID-19 Relief. Which makes me feel a lot better about her wine being really expensive because, man, this is some expensive wine. Um, It's called Two Wolves. That's what she named the winery. She wanted, she really like studied wine and she wanted to be a serious winemaker. And she is so much so that she, you know, she could have made pink wine. She could have made pink rosé and made a fortune. So I like the fact that she made other wines and didn't name them after herself and uh just charged more for them uh from the smell of it though i'm like oh i think this is going to be worth it especially if it helps if uh buying this wine from her has (laughs) allowed her to donate a million dollars to covid 19 relief so yes two wolves i this is a highly allocated wine meaning you have to be Ooh, there's rain i don't know if you guys hear that or not but it's raining again um, highly you have to like put yourself on a wait list just to be able to try and get an allocation when they release the wines a couple times a year. And even then it took me several tries. And finally I had to set an alarm for the precise minute that the allocation was available to be, be bought, uh, and got online and, bought, and like bought a bottle right away. Uh, and it, it just sells out like that cause she's not making a lot uh, and because it was an expensive wine, and a special wine, and sort of a highly sought-after wine for me, I, guys, it's kind of funny because I, I wanted to be able to share it with another wolf, but I'm a lone wolf right now, but I'm drinking two wolves, which, am I in a menage a trois of lupines? I don't know a lupinous menage a trois it's me single wolf and this two other wolves um that's weird let's not think too much about that but that is also why I said when I said woof about the wine I was like that may be hinting uh anyway what we have here is a bottle of 2016 two wolves Cabernet Sauvignon from Santa Barbara County uh before I taste it because god I'm just teasing myself now. I went to the website, kind of to like, I was like, why did she name it Two Wolves? And she named it after there's um, a story, a legend of a Cherokee grandfather teaching his grandson uh, grandson about life. And really, you should go to the website and listen, because it's, I assume you can click on a little thing, and there's a cartoon, and I assume it's Pink reading it, and man, her voice is soothing, even when she's not singing. Uh, her voice is so good i actually i 'm going to keep calling her alicia after uh now, although it may be alicia i 'm going to keep calling her alicia it 's spelled l e e a l e c i a because that 's kind of the name she likes to be known for for her wine and you can hear her read this story that it's it 's about the grandfather telling his grandson about life and how within every human there are two fighting wolves, and one represents everything evil. Uh, greed guilt hatred and the other wolf is a good one it's like peace modesty um, hope love and he says everyone has this fight within them I guess it's sort of like some of us would call it the angel and the devil on our shoulder everyone has these two wolves and the grandson says which one which one wins and the grandfather says the one you feed um, I still would love to talk to Alicia more about how that shows itself in the wine, or why she particularly—I mean, I guess wine is kind of about balance, and maybe you have to learn how to balance out those two wolves within you. Oh goodness! Anyway, as I said, she's she's a serious winemaker. She she says that when she was touring the world, she noticed how she could she would find amazing wines everywhere. And then she saw the movie Red Obsession and was inspired by, by Lalu Leroy, uh Leroy, who's like, I think they call her the Queen of Burgundy. She's an amazing woman. And uh, Alicia thought to herself, what a badass. I, I took that quote from the website. Um, and so she took classes at UCLA. She took the Wine and Spirit Educational Trust classes. Then she moved to Santa Barbara, took classes at Allen Hitchcock College, and started making wine in the garage. Like, the original Garagiste, actually making it in the garage. Um, and it endears me to her that she says she was, something that really surprised her was how much she loved pruning. She's Pruning is one of my favorite things in the world. Um, so these are, she's into sustainability, she's... Spoiler alert, she's into the moon. She's into nature. Uh, These come from 100% certified organic vineyards. Uh, Her facilities use reclaimed materials and naturally thick walls to keep things cool without having to use electricity, LED lighting. Uh, She's trying to make socially responsible wine. Um, And Lord, is it expensive, but just smelling it, I think it's going to be worth it. So... Let's see, is there anything else technical I t- should tell you about this wine before I taste it that you would actually be interested in? Um, oh, in 2016, the, the, the vines saw a bit more rain and they had a good fruit set in spring. Overall, the growing seedger- season was cooler than the previous year, but heat later helped ripen the crop by early October. Um, it's their first 100% varietal wine of Cabernet, grapes hand-picked and sorted, fermented in wood, stainless steel, and cement tanks, utilizing varied fermentation vessels added to the complexity of the final blend. It was aged 20 months in a mixture of new and used barrique. Uh, they made 166 cases, so that's like 12 bottles a case. That's like 12, 000, like 18,000, something like that, 20,000, um, which is actually not not all that much. Um So yeah, let's dive in. I'm going to taste it and tell you what I think about it. And guys, if you haven't opened something by now, even if it's just a cup of tea that makes you happy, I hope you have something that you can drink that will bring you some sort of uh, warmth. Coffee, tea, wine, gin, absinthe, vodka, um, I could go on there's a lot of delicious oh chocolate milk have some take it from the first solar season guest matt and have a mocha i don't know i haven't had a mocha in years and i have been craving a mocha with whipped cream and iced mocha ever since talking to him about one let's taste this wine mm. oh 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 hells yeah and incidentally, I know a couple of weeks ago or last week, I said I always drink things out of burgundy glass. I'm actually using my Bordeaux glass for this Cabernet. And it's working for me. Oh, my God. So when you smell it, you just smell... You smell, like, really ripe black fruit. And you smell kind of, like, brambly, plummy things. And you smell... There's, like, a hint of greens. Like, forest... Forest pine greens. Um... But in like the most pleasant way, in a way that makes it like smell really fresh, even though it smells really rich. It's like dessert that's also uplifting. Hold on. Okay, now we're gonna taste it again. Mmm. <laughs> oh. It's got like a finish that keeps going and then comes back for another kick. It's got some good acid on it it's got pretty high alcohol but not alarmingly so it's i think i already saw oh well it is pretty high it's 14.8 but i don't know there's there's good acid on this which is interesting considering it santa barbara is warmer um but it hasn't it's got a freshness to it even though it this is not a dessert wine but it's a dry wine that i could drink for dessert like Mm. For the most part, I don't particularly recommend pairing dry wines with dessert because it'll make the wines too tart. But I could see this being really good with the... Have you ever made a summer pudding? It's this British dessert where they butter bread and they like line a bowl with it and then they make this cooked fruit filling. I've usually made it with strawberries and blueberries and sometimes blackberries. And you butter bread and you put it on top and you put a weight on top of it and over 24 hours the juices of the berries soak through the bread and you it, it's it's just it's a very fruity but also somehow fresh dessert despite being i don't know how to describe it but it's really good i try and make it every summer this feels like a wine i would want to drink with that oh um so what am i tasting mm. oh it's got a little red fruit too like a little a little purple plum, like roasted plums. I'm not kidding. I've roasted plums before, so I know what I'm talking about. Thank you very much. Um, but I've never grilled them, so there's a, there's things to be learned still. Um, all the blackberries, all the, like, a little bit of, mm, like the cinnamon nutmeg thing. Still a little bit of that greenery, but then, like, uh, I picture, like, lilacs um good lord this is a fabulous fabulous wine uh i'm curious i think they told us what food they'd pair it with let's let's see they recommend grilled filet mignon vin, braised short ribs and roasted and caramelized vegetables well caramelized vegetables cooked fruit i'm just saying um I love the idea of eating this with some like caramelized turnips and like oh this would be good with some roasted beets and some caramelized onion good god I'm getting hungry um so now I'm curious to see what all my notes of like dark and roasty things and uh some spice and some greens and lilacs see how that pairs up to what they said okay some cabernets wants you to sit up straight and keep your elbows off the table. Ours wants you to slow dance to your favorite song and kick back with friends that don't care where you sit. Make no mistake, this is a serious wine, an explosively aromatic, whew, I'll say, one with a black cherry, black plum, oh yeah, Clove, violets, okay, not lilacs, violets, and black pepper. There's also a deep earthy quality with green bean and fennel aromas. Guys, I haven't smelled either one of those things in forever, but maybe that's the greenery I was detecting. On the mouth, expect rich flavors and subtle savory notes. This is a focused wine, a precise one that lingers on the palate with the slightest kiss of French oak. Um... And all, honestly, I 100%, this is one of the times that I read and I'm like, wow, there's not a single thing in there I disagree with. This is obviously an important wine, but it is also a very comfortable wine. One you want to slow dance with and pick back with friends who don't care where you sit. Or, if you happen to be in quarantine, it's a wine that... I truly do. I had people I actually had planned to share this wine with and I, if I can next year afford to buy two bottles and manage to do it in time, I will so I can do that. But I also, because uh, because Alicia Moore uh, is a woman winemaker who I happen to have in my fridge and also because she just got through COVID and tried to make things better for other people suffering, I wanted to open this wine to celebrate her well done alicia although i do if you make cabernets this good i would love for you to make some like grenache based uh rosés i know i know you don't want to like sell out and be like you're pink selling pink wine but i think you've alicia Moore. i think you've made a name for yourself as a winemaker and uh i challenge you to make a really good rosé for me to drink (laughs) she's not listening but god it'd be cool if she was God, it would be cool she could be a drunk dial in the future. I might try to make that happen. Maybe the, uh, it's hard to get people to be guests on the show, but maybe she could be a drunk dial. I don't know. Mm. Sorry, guys. I'm going to have a hard time not, like, just keeping on drinking this wine. But I will keep sipping while I tell you about this week's boozy book, which kind of sticks with the goth theme. I'd had this book for a long time, but... um. Being as this is end times, I thought it was an appropriate time to read a book called 101 Wines to Try Before You Die, because, you know, drink them now. Um, The author is Margaret Rand, uh, and it is just, it's 101 wines of her her favorite wines. Um, There's a lot of things I like about this book. Um, I like that in the introduction, she is kind of honest, and she says, hey, these... These aren't necessarily the wines that are the most iconic, but they're they're the ones that have given me the most pleasure. And then she also like explains what gives her pleasure. She says she likes balance, elegance, poise, and precision. She does not like over ripeness. She likes freshness, acidity, and a good sense of authenticity. And then she uses the metaphor. i really don't like. Um, hold on, let me find the quote and read it to you. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> she says, Risk is important in winemaking and is an element in the greatest and most exciting wines, but it is hard to define in tasting except as the feeling of walking a tightrope. Has she ever walked a tightrope? Because I have. I've also I I took circus classes, so I have walked tight ropes. I also took I I've walked balance beams. Never once in my life. I, okay, I get what she's saying, because like when you are balancing, if if you feel yourself going too much in one direction, you have to pull back in the other. And if you feel yourself going that way, you have to. It, it's a constant fight between uh between where your your uh, weight is distributed and. I guess maybe that's what she means about wines having nervous... Okay, fuck it. Maybe this is actually a really good metaphor for wines that are really, you know, they're not one too much of everything. They just really find balance. God damn it. Okay, so it's not a bad metaphor, but she uses it at least four times. And unless you've actually walked a tightrope, I still feel like it's an unfair thing to use. Also, just like maybe... Maybe spread out the balance metaphors to some other things, like uh, like I said, balance beam. there's one. Um, if you want to keep it in the circus, there's this thing called the roll bola It's like a board on top of this round tube that you have to balance on that, that and, you know, how about really good wine is like walking in heels? That's a balancing act and kind of a sexy one too. Um, just like i there's just some metaphors that I hear way too much, and I'm like. I get what they're saying and I guess they're good metaphors but may- maybe I only resent this cuz I took circus classes and I didn't like run away enjoying the circus and maybe I should have no 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 I'm glad I didn't anyway um so I have a little beef with that but uh that's that's okay as I said, I really like that she's just sort of honest about these aren't necessarily the most important wines, but they're the ones that I personally love, and then she explains why. So I, I like that sort of transparency, uh, transparency. Um, and I also like, although it's a little frustrating, ugh, you can find beautiful wines that don't cost that much, but she gives the disclaimer. <clears throat> many of the wines here are very expensive i wish they weren't but top wines are expensive just as top footballers are expensive but there is in wine no precise correlation between price and quality which i'm like hang on didn't you just kind of say there was and didn't you say these are the best wines you ever tasted and they're guys they're mostly expensive wines um which is why when I was going through, I started making a list of all the ones I've tried and all the ones I want to try, which I'll I'll go through those in a minute uh, because I was trying to think if I would include the wines that I've had that she mentions um, if I were to make a list of 101 wines. Um, But then she closes uh, after saying, there's no precise correlation between price and quality, which is lucky because it means there's still a role for wine writers. I guess because we can tell you about all the good wines, um, regardless of what they cost. I mean, granted, here's my thing, I'm like over a hundred bucks a year paying more for name. Uh, incidentally, this Touboves Cabernet Sauvignon, it was ninety dollars, and, um, yeah, god, this is a gorgeous wine, it's opening up even more with time. Um yeah this this wine punches in it uh, i could see it maybe going for 70 perhaps but it's like organic and small allocation um but yeah i feel like up to 100 bucks maybe 200 wine doesn't always but sometimes corresponds to quality price i mean trust me there's like lots of i've Well, yeah, I think the last couple of weeks I tasted excellent wines that were lower priced. Um, But you can sometimes see the exceptional wines really uh, showing. So here, let's like run through the things I've tasted that she includes in her list. Uh, Surprisingly, I felt like fewer champagnes than I expected, but she did include Cristal, which guys, honestly, I've... Actually, thanks to the Effervescence Festival, I've tasted a lot of the, like, top-level sparklers. Uh, Cristal is the Tête de Cuvée made by Dom Ruinart. It's great. Or not by Dom Ruinart, sorry. Dom Perignon. Um, I don't love Dom Perignon. I do love Dom Ruinart. On the opposite end of the spectrum, I also love Krug. Those are the two, like, champagnes that in my mind that I've tasted, they're top- bottlings and been like oh my god this is worth this is religion this is worth 200 and something bottles uh, or dollars a bottle if not more well probably yeah yeah you're paying for name at some point but anyway cristal would not be one of the cuves i would pick but guys it is really fucking good so uh take that with a grain of salt um she mentions catena zapata malbec that's an argentine malbec which she recommends a different blend i think it's called argentino uh, which is a blend of two vineyards i've had one of the top so catena zapata makes wine at many levels even their basic grocery store one is pretty good but i had their nicosia vineyard one which is another one of those bottles it's about a hundred dollars a bottle i got it because I was researching an article, so it was for work, um, Right offable but uh, it was a beautiful wine. So I agree with that. She mentions Chateau Tempier Bandol Rosé, which is a Provencal Rosé of Mouved that's fucking great. I'm into her including it, although I wish she would have also included some Tavel Rosé, but no. She mentions Pinfolds Grange, which... Here's the thing, there's a lot of different bottlings. I had the Pinfolds Grange, bin 95, 2008, and honestly, it was delicious, but it wasn't worth $700 a bottle. It wasn't, I didn't think it was worth $200. It was a great wine, but I, also right next to it, I was drinking their quote unquote um, port, their uh, the grandfather port, which was just like an excellent fortified wine that they made, and I was like, and that was only like $100 a bottle compared to 700 So I don't... Maybe I haven't tasted the right uh, bin or vintage of Pinfolds Grange. Please, uh, people selling that, send me some bottles. Let me make up my own mind. Um, okay, so moving on. She mentions the Pan Suave La Roca. I've only actually had the regular Pan Suave, and it's... Suave gets sort of like not the best rep, but Pan makes... It's just a refreshing, crisp, and, like, nuanced wine, even at its most basic level. So get into that. She mentions the Quintarelli Valpolicella Classico Superiore, which I had, and it was heaven. I had it, though also, I'm like, that was at the end. No, actually, it wasn't quite the end. There was one more bottle after that. I'd gone to an Italian wine tasting, then we stopped by a wine bar, and it, it was like five of us, and we split a bottle, I think of some bouchonay and then we went to Jalina which is one of those like fancy restaurants in LA where you're not allowed to ask for substitutions and it's oh it's a dark and sexy restaurant but like we were we were friends with the Psalm there and he came over with this Quintorelli and it was so good um, okay, she mentions Wiston Estates, Blanc de Blanc. Wiston Estate is, they're, they're making more and more sparkling wine in uh, England because global warming is making it more possible and they have like similar truck soils. I'm not sure if I had the Blanc de Blanc. She, she says it has to be a vintage. I think I've just had a couple of their non-vintage wines, but they're great. And she mentions is Irie, Original Vines Pinot Noir. That's in Oregon. I have had different versions of their Pinot Noir, and also their Pinot Meunier, and um, I don't think I've had the original Vines ones, but they've always been knockouts. Great Pinot Noir from Oregon. So those are the wines that she mentioned. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I've tasted eight of 101 wines to taste before I die, so I got a long way to go. Um, I also made a short list of the next, um, oh, the next eight that I want to try, um, which are Domaine Cheval Blanc. That's some good Merlot from Bordeaux. Chateau Margaux, that's some good blended uh, Bordeaux blend from Bordeaux. Chateau Kem. also Bordeaux, but guys, I ever since I had the Chateau de Fargue, which is like sort of the baby sister of Chateau Dichemme, I've been like, man, that is a sweet, botrytized wine I want more of in my life. Uh, I want to try the Chave Hermitage. I've had different Shave bottlings from the Rhone Valley, but I've never had the Hermitage. I can only imagine. I really want to try, because I've been really enjoying Spätburgunders, which is to say Pinot Noirs from Germany. I want to try the, what does she recommend, Waldporzimer Krauterberg Spätburgunder made by Meyer Knockel. That's a mouthful. Um but I want to try it because it's the one she mentions and I'm getting into those. And then finally, she, I, I tried to shorten this list up as much as I could. There were more things that I was like would be my next eight. But um, then there's the Michael shops Tanat, made in Virginia because guys, I've had some great Virginia wines and they need to make more of a name. They need to export more outside of Virginia. Um mm. I think it was Barbersville, their Viognier, has made an impression again and again. Um, guys, get into Virginia. So I was happy that she had some of that in there. So uh, that is my review of 100 Wines to Try Before You Die. I would love if you looked at it to tell me what you've tasted. To Guys, I'm a list maker, so making lists of things I've had and things I need to try is super fun for me. So I actually didn't pick up this book for a long time because it almost felt too morbid like oh god am i gonna die soon but then with this whole thing going on i was like okay time to read that book and uh, see what i need to be drinking so 101 wines to try before you die by margaret rand um yeah take a peek i there were things i didn't like like i said the tightrope metaphors there's a few other metaphors she uses a bunch that i'm just like can we pick a new thing Um, but other than that, I think she's very, she gives good history, like good balance of like history and like facty facts and then also just like her opinion. Um, oh, other cool things like each profile, each profile, I mean, she tells you like every little detail about the wine, including like best age to drink, what the good vintages are, whether you should decant, whether you should chill, what to say if you meet the winemaker and also what not to say, and then she also, which is nice considering she said most of these are expensive, gives a pauper substitute, Um, although for some of them she's like, nope, no substitute for this. Um, Yeah, so, uh, oh, there's a nice glossary at the end of the book too if you are not familiar with terms. I looked up Tightrope to see if it was there. It wasn't. That's okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, check out that book. It's worth it. So now last week I had wine bull about people trying to sell shit to like clarify wine. I'm just like, if you're that worried, maybe drink a little less. Um, so this week I wanted to give a wine boost, which is a wine like a person I think you should follow on Instagram. I think he's also doing it on TikTok, but I made a TikTok account and I just can't. I know that like quarantine is supposed to be the time that we all stay at home and learn to use TikTok, but I'm not into it. Um, I don't want to. Anyway, um, Jason Booth, uh, he's the host of Wine for Sophisticated Homies. He was a guest on the podcast a year or so ago. Um, You can find him on Instagram at Boothums, uh, B-O-O-T-U-T-H-U, sorry, B-O-O-T-H-U-M-S and ever since quarantine because he he was working as a psalm in a restaurant he's been doing this thing that's hilarious with his son and i'm not even a kid person but he basically he's calling it like dad chateau and he presents his son at every meal with these like elegantly laid out like minimalist uh fancy schmancy thing cuisines but they're not actually and he gives them amazing punnery names like there was the baby charcuterie, baby charcuterie board uh, that was funny. He made like a Tetris of cheese. Uh, he'll he'll be like, and now sir, I will pull you a dry rosé of pediolite or like unfractionalized uh, dairy, which is like milk. It just like uses all the snobby terms. Um, but my favorite one so far that he's done was he presented his son with this board that had like chicken fried chicken cutlets like laid out in the shape of a man um, surrounded by some condiments and some vegetables and he's like this uh this evening's uh entree is a murder mystery who killed and fried mr chicken in the living room and then he's like uh this chicken is surrounded by mrs scarlet q sauce colonel mustard mrs white mayo Mr. Greens, Mrs. Peascock, and Professor Plum, with the, like, uh, associated food, you know, a, a, a plum, and peas, and greens, all those condiments, and as someone who loves Clue, both the game and the movie, so much, I was like, oh my god. Um, anyway, my wine boost is, I give a boost to Jason Booth! Oh wow, that worked out really well, I didn't even plan that. Nice. Sometimes I plan my alliteration too much, it's probably better when it's genuine am i so follow that you guys i don't know if this is doing more for me than you but like what a blast i'm having talking to you guys about this stuff and like i said i am happy to like hit me up at ellen clifford on instagram or at the wine situation um or email you you can email our email for the podcast is wine situation at gmail.com for some reason someone had already taken the wine situation bastards um so just wine situation at gmail uh i would really love to hear some feedback about the direction this has been taking i would love if you read these books if you tried these wines if you want just interact with me we're all lone wolves drinking two wolves wines hopefully I don't know who else is because it was really hard to get a hold of, but I'm going to get a hold of more so I can actually drink with someone. But um, anyway, this brings me down to uh, it's time to do the drunk dial. Uh, God, okay, this is a heady wine because I think I've had about a fifth of this bottle and I haven't even or poured into my glass and I haven't even uh, finished the glass. And I'm like, ooh, this is a heady wine. Um, God, is good, you guys. Bah! Okay, um, so... This week's Drunk Dial, she is a friend of mine uh, from the the wine world. She is currently like on the front lines of wine retail, bringing all the good things, including she was so good as to make me up a, a box um, of wines. I just told her how much money I had to spend and that I wanted uh, women winemakers. And she's like, I'll make you up a box and drop it off. Uh, she's an incredible woman. She's got incredible cats. And, uh, yeah, this week I am drunk dialing Shelby Griffiths. So get ready for that phone call. Hello? Hello, Shelby Griffiths. Are you ready for the wine drunk dial final five? All the alliteration you can get? As ready as I could never be.
0: Ah, there's no preparing for the final
1: five um okay I'll try not make this too painful uh so as I was telling our listeners you work at K&L you're like on the front lines of keeping people uh well hydrated during this (laughs) crisis um how, how does it feel to to be the person who's like you're doing a lot of good in the world bringing wine to everybody
0: you know honestly I'm I'm really happy I'm able to do that and uh you know, happy that I'm able to go to work and be safe and, you know, be safe with my coworkers, but also provide joy. <laughs> joy is a good thing. Um, cool. Okay. Question number two, what's the best pairing you've ever had? Oh, the best pairing. Ooh. Honestly?
1: Or you, uh,
0: like, the best pair. It can pair? be any
1: sort of thing. It doesn't have to be wine.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, actually, the best pairing I recently have had was a pairing with beer and vegan ah. ice cream. <laughs> what? <laughs> Explain yourself. Well, uh, so I went to Sage, and I had their habanero pilgrims that I'm really obsessed with, with some of their nice cream. And it was cookie cream and some other flavor called, like, vacation. And I, I swear, I wasn't even planning it. I took one bite of the ice cream and took a sip of my beer. And all of a sudden, the flavor just turned to straight-up red-hot tamales.
1: Whoa. It was like one of those
0: happy accidental pairings.
1: Well, I hope sage is open again soon so we can go there and do that.
0: (laughs) You know they're delivering
1: right now. Oh. Well, we can have a six-feet-apart party with some sage. Or maybe we should just uh, FaceTime and order sage to our own homes, and then we can pretend. Something like that. that. No. Nope, not a <laughs> bad idea at all. Awesome. Okay. Question number three is uh for those of you who don't know, Shelby has named a few cats after vineyards. So part A is tell people about what uh vineyards your cats have been named for. And part B is are there any vineyards that feel like they, they should go with a cat in in the future?
0: Oh man, that's that's hard. Uh well currently I have my Landone, uh, but I call him Lando for short. Lando's Lando cat, Catrissian. Right? so good. <laughs> I love yes. it. Um, and, you know, I've gotten a couple pictures of him in the wine box, but before Lando, I had uh, my Charlemagne. Uh-huh. And he was a little sweetie. Um, Caesar does not have a wine name unless you count the grapes as <laughs> Oh. where is does that grow? Uh, it is in... Uh, gosh, Ironti. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
1: Um, so do you have, do you, were those just like favorite vineyards of yours or do you have other vineyards in mind or do those just somehow seem to match the cat?
0: Well, uh, Landone is definitely a favorite vineyard of mine. And Charlemagne, um, was actually more so named after the king because, uh, you know, I have Caesar. Uh, oh, okay. The cat and then Charlemagne. And then I have i was actually just thinking about this the other day. I was like, oh, well, if I do end up getting another cat, my heartstrings get tugged on more. You know, maybe yeah. I'll have a Clovis. <laughs> Stick with oh, okay, cool. I like it.
1: Um, I also just love how Lando's name, what his nickname turned out to be.
0: <laughs> He's like
1: the wine Star Wars cat. You can't... There's no better pairing than wine Star so. Wars. <laughs> exactly.
0: Um,
1: okay, question number four is, if you were to make a wine, what would you want to make and what would you name it?
0: Oh, man. That's a naming I, question. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's all good. Uh, you know, if I were to make a wine, I would probably go back home to the Sierra Foothills and probably make some great Zinfandel and some Syrah. Um mm-hmm two grapes that I'm really passionate about. Uh, we share for... that
1: love of the Zinfandel.
0: Oh, yeah, I do I do love my Zin. Mm-hmm. Um, as for me, I don't know, probably name it something after my cat. <laughs> no, yeah. No. Cool. Um, okay, well,
1: that is, uh brings us to our uh, final question, the one since the beginning of this pod's time, which is what's bringing you some joy these days?
0: Oh, man, what's bringing me some joy? Well, if you I want to think wanna on it, I'll tell I'm it. crossing. I oh. crossing.
1: I still have, yeah, I got to start playing that. I Right now, I I just stick with Neko Atsume, but literally cat name or cat game. But, oh, uh. Have you seen the movie?
0: No, there's a Neko Atsume movie. Oh, yes, there is. Oh, my God. I learn new things every day.
1: Wow. Okay, that might be bringing me joy next week.
0: Exactly. Um, cool. So if
1: people want to uh, have you pack up wine boxes. They should place their orders with K&L. And if they want to find you, your cabinet on the, on the Instagram, correct? Yes, cabinet. Any, anything else you want to plug?
0: Um, stay safe, stay hydrated, and, and, you know, be kind to each other. Good things. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Glass. Glass. I just drink wine. wine. I don't fuck with IGA. I just drink wine. I don't fuck with Minute Maid. I just drink wine. I don't fuck with Coffee Maid. I, I, I just drink wine. Give me red, white, or say, do Don't touch me, motherfucker. I'm a Somali-yite.